Welcome to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. Following the 2016 elections, there are many unanswered questions about what issues will dominate the agenda for our new president and Congress. In an eight part series, Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek's Washington, D.C. policy professionals and attorneys discuss their perspectives on the biggest issues facing the next administration. Brownstein's strategic advisors Barry Jackson and former Senator Mark Begich moderate bipartisan discussions on the first 100 days of Trump's presidency, as well as pressing issues like immigration, health care, financial services, tax and trade, education, infrastructure, and marijuana policy. In this episode, Policy Director Judy Black, Senior Policy Advisor Douglas McGuire, and Policy Advisor Laura Johnson discuss how we can expect the appointment of Betsy DeVos to impact pre-K, K-12, and higher education policy under the new administration and what could be on the agenda for a unified Republican administration. This is Mark Begich. Uh, I've served in the U.S. Senate from Alaska for six years, been a mayor of uh, Anchorage, Alaska, been on the local city council, and also in the business world for many years. So I joined the Brownstein firm almost two years ago, and it's been a pleasure. And uh, the topics that we cover are enormous, so I'm just glad to be here to be able to have a conversation with so many talented folks. Well, thanks, Mark. I'm Barry Jackson, and along with Mark, I serve as co-chair of the strategic practice here at Brownstein. I'm one of only two people that have served as chief of staff to the Speaker of the House and senior staff to the President of the United States. And along with my colleague here, Mark, I think we can provide you a pretty interesting back and forth about the role of the Congress and the role of the White House as a new administration and a new Congress takes place. So let's dive in. We're joined today with Doug McGuire, Judy Black, and Laura Johnson to talk about education policy. Doug McGuire brings over 20 years of experience providing investment advisory services, risk mitigation strategies, international government affairs support, and strategic philanthropy guidance for corporations, private equity firms, international aid agencies. Doug, there's a long list here. Uh, NGOs, when do we get to universities? Fa- I know. NGOs, foundations, universities operating in emerging markets. Prior to joining Brownstein, Doug was a senior advisor to USAID, World Bank, DFAT, and DFID-funded projects across the globe. Judy Black is policy director in the Brownstein's Government Relations Department. Prior to Brownstein, Judy served in the White House from 1987 to 1989, where she was special assistant to President Reagan for intergovernment affairs. In that capacity, she was a liaison to the nation's governors and other statewide elected officials. She's recognized as one of the premier Republican lobbyists in Washington, D.C. Laura Johnson, policy advisor at Brownstein, supports the firm's government relations department by actively engaging with clients on identifying and executing their legislative priorities. Her work focuses primarily on early and secondary education, health care, and labor issues. Thank you for all joining us. We have at Brownstein a great team that deals with education, and I just read a long resume for all of you. So thank you for joining us. So here we are, new Congress. Uh, the Senate a little tighter, but still Republican-controlled, a new president, uh, and new kind of whole process that's going to be in front of us and how legislation might be moving or not. But maybe uh, we can start with first, he's appointed or nominated a Secretary of Education, Betsy DeVos, and has a lot of ideas, a lot of ideas, and has some experience and in her own life on education. So let's just kind of 
put that on the table. What does this mean to education if you're in public or private or secondary or post-secondary? What does this all mean with this new secretary? And maybe I'll start with you, Judy, if that's okay. Wonderful. We'll just kind of work through. But how does this new secretary bring that agenda that the Trump administration has? Well, thank you for the question, Senator. It's great to be with everybody today. Uh, And I think that there's a lot of excitement about Betsy DeVos as uh, being in the cabinet and particularly paying attention to education. She's dedicated a lot of her life to school choice. And it's, it's her aspiration to try to have every child in this country uh, have access to the highest levels of education that they can, but also to have access to choice through a variety of methods. So there's a lot of excitement about having her. She's got a great business acume. She brings so much to the table, and I think people are going to be pleasantly surprised with her depth of knowledge in the education field. Doug, you, I know you work with a lot of universities and college campuses, and how the nominee for secretary is a lot of focus in the school choice, K through 12. So what do you think You know, the agenda will be there? I know the President Lex talked about a lot of workforce development and career education. How does this all fit in? Well, I think Betsy has has made it clear that in terms of preparing kids for school, so a lot of the universities that we work with, some of the bigger issues are around getting students through school, making sure that they actually graduate. And so more and more you have universities like University of Utah focusing on the K through 12 to make sure that they're better prepared coming in. So the fact that she's going to attack some of the bigger problems is a plus. Um, Her overall uh, approach, which seems to be on less regulation, and that's definitely the Trump approach, also something that a lot of universities and the university associations are applauding. There's a number of different regulations around Title IX that have probably sparked the most concern, uh, where Trump has said that he's going to be knocking back some of those regulations and enforcements. Uh, On the other hand, you have a lot of the universities coming forward and saying that no matter what the federal regulations are on some of those key issues of civil rights they're going to continue to advocate. I think that one of the the areas that's unknown is um, how much money and funding uh, will be available going into R&D. So it's not so much what the Department of Education is going to be focused on as much as within DOD spending, within DOE spending, within National Science Foundation, um, where will the Trump administration make its investments? Will it cut back? Uh, Because so much of the essential research and development done at universities is funded through other agencies. Let me ask, Laura, a quick question. You know, we have, and you engage with a lot of the clients that come to Brownstein on education. How do you now present to them some of the opportunities? Because that's how we like to look at these things. They're not Mm -hmm. problems or challenges. They're opportunities. So what's kind of the message you give to clients that come to you and say, what's this mean to us? Right. Well, and I think um, Doug hit on a very important point that there will, you know, probably be, um, you know, a very explicit emphasis on cutting through some of the red tape at the Department of Education. That's something that Senate Help Chairman Lamar Alexander has said. That's very important to him, especially as they begin to look and at. And our clients will like that. Right? Yes. Less, less red tape is yes. good. You know, easier, you know, regulatory process. Um you know, uh, Senate Help Chairman Lamar Alexander has said, you know, that he's looking forward to, to working with Betsy DeVos if she's uh, if she's confirmed to reauthorize the Higher Education Act, which will be, you know, a key um, legislative priority next year. And I think, you know, some of the 
you know, some of the things that could be on the table, you know, we can look back and see at this past Congress at a bill that was put forth by Senator Richard Burr from North Carolina um, that was based off of a, a bipartisan report that the American Council on Education um, did in conjunction with Senator Burr and Alexander, uh, Senator Bennett and Senator Mikulski, which rolled back a lot of the, the regulations that they saw that the Department of Education was promulgating that they saw as being overstepping the the authority of the the um, of the agency, such as you know the gainful employment regulations for non for uh, for profit colleges, as well as some of the the teacher prep um, regulations. Um, you know, while I don't think you know the Trump incoming Trump administration has elucidated you know a very clear agenda on what you know what their education department will aim to do. I think that, you know, one of the things that, you know, we saw immediately after the, the election was a spike in the, the for-profit colleges stocks. So I think that they see this this incoming administration as, you know, very friendly to their industry, whereas the Obama administration was not. Another thing I think, too, is that I think you'll see the look at getting power back to the states for decisions on K-12 education. I think that we will see a lessening of federal bureaucracy oversight. Mm-hmm. And so, more- Judy, let, let, me, let, me, let me pick up on that, because your years in the White House, you did intergovernmental affairs, you worked with the governors. Yes. And the, the classic tension in education policy is it a federal issue, a state issue. That's right. We now have a governor in a very powerful position as vice president. We think about our home state for Brownstein, Colorado, where Governor Hickenlooper has introduced a really creative program on apprenticeships. And you think about Betsy doing charter schools. Talk to me a little bit about what's the role the governors are going to play with this administration, and what are the governors going to be pushing for education policy? Well, I I think that is really at the heart of where they'll be driving things, actually, Barry, and that is to return more of the authority to the states, to the localities, as opposed to top-down test scores, you know, nationally driven test scores. We see spending all over the map from $20,000 a pupil in a state like New York to an average of $12,000 a pupil uh, across the country. I think these governors are going to come in and say, let me have more authority over the spending in in the school systems so that we know what we're needing in our state. And it might be different in a rural state, you know. And so I think it's good news for the Governors Association. I think that they will try to take a heavy hand in this. I think that Lamar Alexander, uh, as Laura said, will be a key player. And, and he, having both been a governor and a university president, he knows this inside and out. And so he is, I'm sure, teed up and ready to work with this new administration to see some new innovative developments be uh, being put forward. Here at Brownstein, we're a very bipartisan firm, and we're a very political firm. And one of the things I think probably surprised everybody was that both Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton talked about college loan forgiveness. So I, I throw that up there as a jump ball. Maybe, Doug, if you want to want to take it, how do you think Congress is going to deal with this? 
both in a practical sense of how do you administer something like that and in the larger context of a budget where we're probably going to be looking at close to trillion-dollar deficits. Barry, I'll jump in on the on both your comment about the state-level innovative programs and the loan forgiveness because I think they're tied to the overall question of the value and utility of higher education. So one thing that I hope that Donald Trump uh, continues are some of the innovations at Department of Education and Department of Ed, I'm sorry, Department of Energy, where they have new programs that are two-year and three-year programs backed by Pell Grants. Uh, so that would be less student loans. It would be Department of Education playing a proactive role in funding some of those innovations. On the student loan forgiveness, uh, you know, just a in October, which seems like a long time ago, but uh, in Donald Trump's one speech on higher education, he talked about a 12-year loan uh, forgiveness uh, cap, and he talked about um, loans being based upon you know one's income and ability to pay. Uh, so that's been talked about in the Obama administration. As you said, Hillary Clinton supported it. I'm not sure if Congress, in terms of managing that process or putting legislation behind that process, is ready to do that this this time, but maybe Judy or... Well, you know, Barry, it's one, that's a, a very interesting question, and one of the things that I have heard uh, in, you know, some of the congressional offices and people talking is that when the private sector was taken out of the student loan business, that the backstop of the federal government gave the ability of universities to just kind of increase their tuition knowing that the federal government was the backstop. I think you're going to probably see, now whether it can be accomplished or not, but you're probably going to see some of these offices moving toward bringing the private sector back into this and seeing a little bit of a private sector uh, competition for the federal government student loan programs. Well, I, I want to jump on this. You said the private sector thing, and I want to go back to Laura. Laura, you mentioned the, the, the for-profit universities mm-hmm. and schools, and obviously uh, here at Brownstein, we've done a lot of work in that area. What do you think are the most tangible things that are going to be done at the department that's going to both give confidence in people that if these programs are allowed to compete and be out there, that they're going to be doing quality education, and what can they do to make sure that it's a level playing field, if you were, between public universities and schools, trade universities, and the for-profit guys? Mm -hmm. Well, I think that, you know, they... The, one of the first steps that they're going to take is to um, roll back some of the um, the burdensome regulations, like the gainful employment regulations. But then I also think that you know they are going to um, you know expand some of the the access for students to VoTech and two and four year non traditional programs. Um, so I think you are going to see um, an increase in emphasis on you know whether it be online education or non-traditional uh, colleges and universities, I think that they are going to make that a priority. But it, to, to Judy's point about, um, you know, some of the, the student loan issues, one point that Trump had been focusing on during the campaign was how colleges and universities are investing their endowments and speculating that there needed to be greater oversight over how they were doing that because they, you know, were, they speculated that they were pushing all this money into their endowments and then passing on the burden to you know students and the the government and this is actually an area where Senate Finance Chairman Orrin Hatch has, has speculated that there needs to be you know greater greater government oversight. Let me ask you know as I'm listening to the conversation, 
I was thinking about the people who President-elect Trump is nominating. A lot of them have business experience, and they all in different departments. Do you think, and, and Doug, you kind of mentioned it, and, and I got a two-parter here. The first is, do you think there'll be more work between the different agencies kind of working together in the issue of education? Because what I know as someone who's been in business, business people know exactly what they need in the sense of educated workforce, who they're going to be. They think ahead five, ten years out. This is kind of where we're trending. Education kind of moves slowly. You know, they don't respond as quick. Do you think there'll be more collaboration between the different agencies? Because they're all kind of in this business world, so they understand if you don't have a highly educated workforce or a flexible workforce that has the education capacity, they're not going to fill these jobs that they want to do, maybe the Commerce Department, Energy Department. Do you think there would be any of that going on? I'm just, you know, know maybe Doug or Judy. Judy, you worked in the White House. You know, they sit around the cabinet. Do they? Is this something that might happen that might give some hope to folks to say, ah, education's kind of finally moving a little more fast. I don't know if they can move as fast as business, but they're, they're at least trending the right way. Is that a possibility? Because there's a lot of similarities between the cabinet people that they have these experiences that are business-oriented. Just in the, in the for-profit sector, and then I'll let Doug uh, chime in, but sure. in the for-profit sector, uh, we just had a hearing last week in the Armed Services Committee uh, because Chairman John McCain was very, very concerned that an interagency task force that actually has been operating the last couple of years was actually coming down with uh, rules and regs that were, in essence, squeezing the for-profit out. And he wanted to, because a lot of the military are the people that are using these for-profit universities. If you're on a ship overseas, you're deployed overseas, but you're trying to better yourself, uh, you can't wait until you can go full-time into a university. And so these for-profits give a lot of advantages. Thousands and thousands of our military are actually doing it. On the other side, there, you know, there were some uh, businesses that were a bit abusive, and so these interagency task force were sh- set up to watch over those. I think what we're going to see is probably, based on that hearing and then some discussions that some of those, by the way, every single senator of the Armed Services Committee showed up and participated in that hearing. So there was a high degree of interest in that. Uh, And I think what you will see is uh, some continued oversight to make sure the bad actors don't get away uh, with taking monies, you know, from these these individuals, and yet continue allowing these kinds of companies to provide those educational resources. So I think there's definitely going to be a play for interagency that have uh, to overlap with each other on these things, like the Department of Defense, the Department of education, et cetera. But I don't think you're going to see an atmosphere of trying to take it all into a government-run operation. You're going to see, uh, let's do it in a business sense, but with controls so that people get the value for their money spent. And I'll 
pick up on that and say one of our clients, Arizona State University, invests a tremendous amount in building an ecosystem of for-profit college partners and technology partners. So they have over 450 different technology and for-profit innovative companies that we don't really hear about. Um, we do hear about some of the bad actors. Uh, they get a lot of the press. But as Barry's original question asked, uh, there's a tremendous amount of opportunity for the two-year Vogue Tech. Uh, to your point about uh, businesses knowing what they need, you have more and more at the state-level programs where the Intel corporations or others are working with universities to design two-year programs that are dedicated just to uh, the job training they need. Um, so it's our hope, uh, and we'll certainly be advocating at the Department of Education for less regulation on those parts of the private sector that are coming up with these solutions to meet workforce needs. Okay, one last question here. We're about right out of time. Doug, you brought up this issue of, of the technology kind of side of this. One of the issues during the campaign was curriculum. And we've not talked about Common Core, nor have we explicitly talked about are we educating kids to the right workforce in STEM education. So why don't you want to take that real briefly as we wrap up? Laura? You can definitely predict that a, a Betsy DeVos-run Department of Education is not going to be in favor of Common Core. But I think, you know, it's yet to be seen, you know, how overly prescriptive they're going to be on issues like STEM education. You know, I think, you know, Trump has said that he wants to expand, you know, STEM education to ensure that we've got a, a competitive workforce, but I think it's yet to be seen how that manifests itself in policy. I know we're out of time, but I just one quick last comment or question maybe that do you think, and it maybe is the time might be ripe, starting with Judy, you had mentioned at the very beginning, and, and, and Barry in regards to the governors, do you think there's more potential for just kind of block granting this out to states and say, deal with it? It seems like that seems to be a, a potential with this administration greater than probably in the past. Is that a fair statement? I, I, I think that's a fair statement. I think that's a fair statement, and I think that many members on the Hill would be in support of that as well. Some will not be because they like the uh, federal government control and oversight. But uh, I think that, that that will definitely be a piece of the debate. And I have to say on a personal note that I believe that this is one of the most important issues that we'll be facing as a nation. I get excited in working with groups like Arizona State University, which is now the largest university in the country, who wants to educate their students to the highest levels. And I have to say on, on a real personal note, my degree is in teaching. My whole family are teachers. My father in, in uh, post-secondary and my mother in high school education, my brother, sister, all of us were teachers. And it's because we want high level of education opportunities for all kids. And so I think these are some of the most important issues we face, and it's going to be one of the most interesting discussions that we face. And every university, school, state, city has a role to play as we move forward through this debate. Judy, Doug, Laura, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, talk about a uh, very interesting subject matter, education, which I think that we could have gone on for a long time because it is the core of what we do in growing an economy. So thank you very much for being here. 
Thank you for listening to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. Visit www.bhfs.com for more information.